in blessing the tribe of Naphtali, Moshe gives them the bracha of Svaratzon Umalei Birkas Hashem. What exactly does this mean that you should be fulfilled of desire and filled with the blessing of Hashem? So Rashi explains that it's referring to how plentiful and how productive and beautiful the portion of Naphtali would be and how it would be able to produce such beautiful and luscious fruit and uh, vegetables and the like that the people who live there, the tribe of Naphtali, would never have want for anything. However, that doesn't really address the second part of that phrase of Malay Birkas Hashem. However, in a similar vein, but focusing on that second phrase, the Da'as Sekeni Mibali Atosvos explained that because this land was so beautiful and so productive and so lush and the fruits would be so delicious and beautiful, anyone who went there and saw and tasted the fruit and the produce of Naphtali would be led to bless and give a bracha to Hashem, and therefore it was known as the land of Malay Birkas Hashem, because it was so beautiful and so delicious and so lush, that people would bless Hashem when they would experience it. Distilling this specific bracha into a larger principle, the famed Mashkiach of the Mir, Rav Yerucham Levavitz, in his Sefer Da'as Torah here in our Parsha, says the larger point that we see from this is, that anything that brings people, that inspires people to remember Hashem, let alone to bless Hashem, that itself is a certain amount of Kedusha, that gives that person or that object an additional or even an inherent significant sense of Kedusha. Rav Rucham traces this phenomenon with a number of surprising examples, things which you never would have expected, things which are certainly far from innately holy, and yet, because they trigger a certain acknowledgement or praise of Hashem, they are given a certain holy stature. And then he says, Kavachomer, all the more so, this should remind us about how much we should appreciate all of Eretz Yisrael in general. How all of Eretz Yisrael should remind us of Hashem's miracles throughout history and His love for us as demonstrated in all those incredible miracles and great kindnesses He's done in and through the land of Israel. And having gotten to this point, starting off with the, the bracha of Naphtali and the comment of the Dasakenim, and then bringing that to this uh, idea of Eretz Yisrael being a trigger for loving Hashem and remembering Him, and that itself giving stature to Eretz Yisrael. The remainder of the essay, and of course the primary focus of this essay, which is really a few pages long and really deserves uh, everyone's attention to see it in the, in the original because it's really so beautiful and inspiring, but just to give a few highlights of it, the rest of the essay is all about how we should appreciate Eretz Yisrael, whether we live in Eretz Yisrael, or live in the diaspora in Chutzlaretz, and he has messages for both populations, we have to truly appreciate Eretz Yisrael. So just to give a few highlights of this incredible essay, uh, he starts, um, among other places, by mentioning the Gemara in Subis, the famous Gemara at the end of the Masechet, which tells us about the great Chachamim who rolled around in the dirt of Eretz Yisrael, who kissed the cliffs of Akko, the rocks of Akko, and obviously this uncharacteristic and otherwise surprising behavior of great rabbis is meant to illustrate to us how much they loved Eretz Yisrael, how holy the land was, and of course if they appreciated and loved it so much, of course we're supposed to derive the lesson and hopefully love and uh, appreciate the sanctity of the land uh, as well. He then goes on to make a broader and more fundamental point, based on a number of sources, including a well-known comment of Ramban, that the Iker Tachlis, he says, of all mitzvot, of the entire Torah, the ultimate purpose of everything, is Eretz Yisrael, is for the vision and the values of the Torah to be lived out in the land of Eretz Yisrael. And therefore we must realize, wherever we live, and at whatever time in history we find ourselves, just how kadosh, just how holy and central 
the land of Israel is to the Jewish people's vision and understanding of the world. He even makes an astonishing point to illustrate how, what level we should be on in terms of our appreciation, how he says there was a time in history where there were people who wouldn't make Aliyah because they truly felt unworthy, because they honestly felt, how can I live in Paltin Shalmelech, in the palace of the king? The closer you get to the king, the better behaved you have to be. Maybe I can live in Europe, but how can I live in Eretz Yisrael? I can't reach such a level. I think if we were to hear this nowadays, we might be uh, skeptical or even cynical of such an expression. And I don't think he means to say that everyone felt that way even a hundred years ago. But the fact that there were some people, says Rav Yerucham, he knew people like this. So that is certainly an illustration of you know, how much we ought to appreciate and how much certain people did appreciate the holiness and sanctity of Eretz Yisrael. After having made that point with numerous sources, he then makes another point, which is really quite remarkable. He says it's not just the land of Israel, but the people who live in Eretz Yisrael as well. He says if it's true about the rocks in the land of Israel, kol she'ish me'eretz Yisrael, kedushi bo yoser me'avaneha. If the rocks of the land of Eretz Yisrael is so holy, then a ben Eretz Yisrael, someone who lives there, is even more holy than the land. And we should appreciate those people, he says, as well. He then gives a personal recollection of being six years old, a little boy, when someone, a mashuluch, came from the land of Israel, somebody from Kupas Rabbi Meir Bahanais, to collect money in his town in Russia. And he says the people were so excited that they saw Ben Eretz Yisrael, they couldn't believe it. They were filled with such excitement and love just to touch someone who came from Eretz Yisrael. Says of Yeruchim, we mamish kissed his clothing like the Chachamim kissed the dirt of Eretz Yisrael. That's what it meant to meet someone who was a Ben Eretz Yisrael. Of course, he acknowledges that over time, the more access we've had to the land of Israel, naturally the less appreciation we have for it. And he even laments, He admits he himself feels that he doesn't appreciate Eretz Yisrael as much as he used to when he was younger. And there's a general Yetzir he says, especially in his door, and it's certainly gotten worse, not better since then, that we look to tear things down based on the various blemishes we find instead of building things up. We must do the opposite. We must look for all the reasons that Eretz Yisrael is good and beautiful and build it up in our mind based on that. Last but not least, he has a special message for those of us who are lucky enough to live in Eretz Yisrael. He says there's a special responsibility, a special achrayis for those who live in Eretz Yisrael to behave in a way that brings kavo to the land. People should say, wow, that's someone who lives in Eretz Yisrael. That's a child who was raised in Eretz Yisrael. However, if we or our children behave no better, or chas worse than people who live outside the land of Israel, that is a form of machal asakachim. We've desecrated something that's holy, and that is something that we would be very, 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 very upset about. At first glance, it appears that reading Kohelis on Sukkis is something that is incongruous and inconsistent at best. On the other hand, perhaps upon further reflection, this surprising shidduch, as it were, between Koalas and Sukkis may actually shed light on a deeper and profound message, maybe the ultimate message, of the holiday of Sukkis. The problem seems to be obvious. Sukkis is Zman Simchasenu, the holiday as much, if not more than any other, that focuses on happiness and celebration. And of course, the theme of Megillas Koalas is Hevel Havalim, the idea that everything in this world seems to be just a waste of time, pointless, purposelessness, everything is vain of vanities, uh, there's just no point to anything, 
it's a depressing message. It's a hard message to hear any time of year. But certainly it seems to be a message that is inconsistent with the theme of celebration and happiness on Sukkot. So that's why at first glance the problem is profound and obvious. However, if this is the minhag, perhaps it's not just something that we can explain in a kind of technical way, but perhaps it's actually a key to understanding a deep and profound message of the holiday of Sukkot. Ravitzla Mipeterberg, one of the premier students of Israel Salanter, suggested one approach. He suggests that the key to understanding this is the fact that Sukkot and the reading of Koheles comes just about a week or so after Yom Kippur. What happened on Yom Kippur? So at minimum, hopefully, we were inspired to confront our past, to make a reckoning with our past sins, iniquities, and shortcoming, and we rectified that, hopefully, by doing tshuva on past mistakes. However, ideally, something more than that happened. Not only did we confront the past, but we used the inspiration of Yom Kippur to look towards the future, to make commitments, to live better next year than we did the past year. We made kabbalos, commitments we took upon ourselves to learn more Torah, to do more chesed, to daven better, and perhaps just more fundamentally to have more of a focus in our life on the spiritual and the permanent and a little bit less focus on the physical and the transient. However, says Ravitzelah, human nature being what it is, day by day, Yom Kippur grows further and further and more distant in the rearview mirror. And perhaps, not only do we feel distant from that feeling of spiritual inspiration and the spiritual high we had on Yom Kippur, but perhaps we may even start to not only regress, but regret those commitments that we made. Maybe we say to ourselves, we were a little bit too high on spirituality at that moment, we have to come back down to earth, be more realistic, you know, I'll try to be a good person, but I don't have to make such commitments. And it's very, very easy to become prone, to become susceptible to really backtracking and backpedaling from those commitments very, very quickly. Especially with all the fun that we seem to be having on Sukkot, kind of makes us ask ourselves, do we really want to live a life that's so focused on uh, just spiritual matters? What about having fun? What about having Zvan Sivchaseinu all year round? So says Ravitzla, therefore we read Kohelis, and we remind ourselves all those things which we thought we could live without on Yom Kippur, and now we're questioning, and maybe we want to reorient ourselves back towards them, Havel Havalim. No, in fact, they are purposeless. They're meaningless. They're not innately valuable. There's no point. The reality with which we, the clarity, excuse me, with which we were seeing the world on Yom Kippur is in fact the true reality. Now our vision has become a little bit clouded. But don't give up. Be mechazik yourself. The commitments you made on Yom Kippur may not be easy, but they are right, they are true, nothing to regret. We should live lives without regret. We should live lives of commitment and aspiration. And the Kabbalists we made on Yom Kippur, we should aspire to try to maintain throughout the year. So that's the first approach, a very beautiful and profound and instructive approach of Rav Itzla, of Mipeterberg. That is to say, his message being, the reading of Kohelas Anyo on Sukkis is really a way of being mechazek, of strengthening ourselves and our commitments that we made on Yom Kippur, the feelings of religious inspiration and aspiration that we felt on Yom Kippur, Koelis reminds us that despite all the fun that we're having, despite the growing distance from the moment of Yom Kippur, hopefully the feelings of Yom Kippur and the inspiration and commitment we can maintain when we have a proper appreciation for the innate value of Torah and mitzvos and the innate hevel havolim of the pleasures of this world. A completely different approach, but equally important and profound approach, is suggested by the altar of Slabotka of Nassim Finkel. And he 
starts off by saying very simply, yes, it's true. The pleasures of this world, the items of physicality in this world, are hevel havolim. They have no innate value. But oh, wow, look what we can do with those things of hevel and havolim. We can transform the innately worthless things into priceless mitzvos. We can take hevel havolim, and if we use the material goods in this world for elevated spiritual purposes, we can turn that hevel havolim into kodesh kedoshim. Chazal described the uh, materials that can be used for building the sukkah as being not only physical, obviously, but even the leftovers, the crude, the junk of this world. Solus Goren Vyekev. But we can turn that into a spiritual protection, the Tzilid Hemnusa. We can take the Hevel Havalim of this world, we can turn it into Kodesh Kadashim. What a profound and important point. The things that are junk in this world can be turned into gold and silver. And the broader message is clear and important. We don't have to tear ourselves from this world in order to reach the heavens. Rather, we can turn this world into the heavens. And this is perhaps the deeper message of the halacha of Teshvu, Ke'in Taduru. We live in the sukkah as if, in the same way we live throughout the year. And there are many technical halachic points that emerge from that principle, but the deeper message is one that's also relevant. We shouldn't think that the way we live, Teshvu, in the sukkah, has to be fundamentally different than the way we live throughout the year. That there's a huge dichotomy between the way we would live spiritually and otherwise. Rather, take the very things that you would do throughout the year, but don't just do them in the house where they're hevelavalim, perhaps, but bring them into the sukkah and transform them into kodeshakadashim. The very things that you're doing in normal life in this world can be elevated. As the Kotzker taught us, Hashem doesn't need us to sanctify the heavens. He's done that already. Shemayim, Shemayim, Lashem. But Aris Nasalim Neodam. Hashem has given us this world to sanctify that. That's the message of Sukkis understood with Kohelis.